0: Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the Ongoing History of New Music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey. Whoa, 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 whoa. How the hell did you get in here? Hey, security, can you take care of this guy? No, 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 no. It's it, it, it's me, remember? The Ongoing History guy? We we did like uh, almost 700 shows together? No, 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 no. You're not him. Last I heard, he ran off with some floozy from the Caribbean, and they ended up in, in I don't know, Dubai or, or something like that. And her ex-husband somehow got a hold of him or was chasing him, and but let's just say he was taken care of. Uh, yeah. Okay, you got me. I, I, I fake my own death. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why? Why? It's um, it. It. Long story. Did you ever see Apocalypse Now? Yeah. It was kind of like that, except for a couple of maxed out credit cards, a pit boss at a casino in Macau, and, and and more tigers. Tigers? Like I said, it's, it's, it's a long story. Let's just say that I have plenty of respect for Siegfried and Roy now. Okay, so you expect to just waltz in here and after three years gone and just sort of, I don't know, pick up where you left off? Yeah, pretty much. All right, then. You better have some good stories. Funny you should mention that. This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross and uh, where was I? Oh yeah, the, the faked death thing. It's, uh, it's all sorted out now. There are just certain parts of Asia that won't be very welcoming from now on. And um, there's that phobia involving large cats and anything to do that's colored orange. But you know, other than that, I'm fine. And I do come bearing plenty of stories. I call this episode, Stop Me If You've Heard This One Before. You won't be able to, so I'm just going to roll through this stuff. Let's set the stage with this. Stop me, oh, oh, stop me. Stop me if you think that you've heard this one before. Stop me, up, oh, stop me. Stop me
1: if you think that you've heard this one before.
0: The Smiths, setting things up for some yarns from the time that I was away from this program. For example, I spent a fair amount of time with Captain Kirk. Let me explain. It was a September afternoon in Beijing. I'd escaped the triads in Macau, who wanted more than my pinky finger after that bad evening at the Baccarat table. Um, Punto Banco was not my friend that night. Anyway, I was tucking into a lunch featuring some unidentified part of a duck when my mobile phone rang when you arrive home tomorrow go to the royal york hotel in downtown toronto and ask for a person by this code name why i said just do it said the voice 18 hours later i was in a restaurant at the hotel after using the given code name to someone using the house phone and in walks william shadner he sits down picks up a menu and says let's have breakfast Turns out that the chat was looking to mount a stage production based on Reminisces of his 60-year career in show business He'd be on stage in one chair and I'd be in another And the whole thing would be conducted like a celebrity interview in front of an audience Throwing to audio and video clips over about 90 minutes with a 15-minute intermission Another way to put it was, he was Don Cherry and I was Ron McLean. Was I in? Absolutely The tour for the production, which was called How Time Flies, by the way, started in Vancouver and made its way through Regina, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Toronto, and Montreal. I um, rode on the crew bus. Mr. Shatner flew between gigs. But when it came time to get from Toronto to Montreal, he invited me on his private jet, which, let me tell you something, has ruined me for any air travel for the rest of my life. Along with talking about Star Trek and Boston Legal, his books, his horses, his Priceline deal, his stage roles, we also had to talk about his music and um, his singing. He wanted to end each show with a sing-along. What song should I do, he asked. Well, I suggested we do the Hockey Song by Stomp and Tom. Perfect, he said. But in rehearsals, he just couldn't seem to make it work. He turned to me and said, what am I doing wrong? Help me with this. So I did my best to coach him through the song. And about 30 seconds in, it occurred to me that I was trying to teach William Shatner how to sing. Then there was that evening at a brew pub in Regina. Bill loves his beer, so he ordered up a flight of different beers, ranging from the lightest brew possible all the way up through Pilsner's and Lagers and Ales to Mead. And he was enjoying himself very much until he noticed that I wasn't drinking beer. Why not, he asked. What's wrong with you? Uh, uh, nothing, Bill It's just that I'm not really much of a beer drinker. He paused and looked at me strangely. Then, in a voice right out of the wrath of Khan, he gave me an order. You will drink beer! Now, let me tell you something. When Captain Kirk gives you an order, you follow it, even if the hangover is worse than regalian fever. And it is, trust me. When the tour wrapped up, the chat was so pleased that he declared, we're taking this thing to Broadway. And after some negotiations, the show did make it to Broadway. Unfortunately for me, it was rejigged so that I was replaced by an empty chair that served as a prop. Now, to be fair, I was at one of the early performances, and it was a much better production without me, but, ah, uh, oh, damn, I, w- I was this close to making an appearance on Broadway. But... Back to music. The Shad has recorded nearly half a dozen records, the most famous being The Transformed Man from 1968. And a while back, we had a chat about that.
1: Well, Decca asked me to make an album. I'm a young actor. I'm getting, I'm having some success in, 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 in the Star Trek. And I say, okay, what will I do? Uh, I'll do a, literat, a literature, piece of literature and link it to music. Because I love literature and, and, the, and the great speeches that Shakespeare and Edmund Rostand wrote and all those people. I love to perform them, and they're musical. Write original music and segue into a piece of literature of today, which is some of the great songs, which have great lyrics to it. And there's a melodic musical background to that. And I will show either uh, uh, a, a philosophy that, that, is the, that compares or the opposite philosophy in either one of those things. But each one of those cuts is, is three minutes. That's a total of six minutes. You've got to hear it together to understand what I'm doing. But if you take one out of context, you're saying, well, what's he doing? Especially if you take the musical part, uh, and that's what happened. People took things like Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds out of context. They said, well, what's he doing? Well, what I'm doing is performing... LSD, a guy who thinks of uh, tangerine trees and marmalade skies. And that's LSD to me. That's a, that's a vision. And I try to perform it as a guy looped. In comparison to Edmund Rostand's uh, uh, Cyrano has a speech which ends, I may climb to no great heights, but I will climb alone and, and without drugs. Now here's a guy that needs drugs. That was in my fantasy. Picture yourself. In a boat, on a river, with tangerine trees and marmalade skies, somebody calls you, you answer quite slowly.
0: That's William Shatner in a song that gets very little radio airplay for some reason. That's from his 1968 album, The Transformed Man. And now that you've heard him explain it, does it make any more sense? Okay, probably not. I have a lot more Shatner stories, but I'll save them for another time. Instead, here's something about me and Courtney Love. Now, Courtney got herself in quite a bit of trouble with her Twitter account a number of years ago and was sued for slander and libel by a former lawyer, one of her former lawyers. Because she had spoken to me about her troubles in a backstage interview, and because I wrote about it online, I was identified as a witness for the prosecution. So, after a deposition in Los Angeles, I was asked to appear in courtroom 56 at the LA County Courthouse to testify against the widow Cobain. And yes, before you ask, she was there in court. The upshot is that the charges were dismissed and that Courtney does not bear me any grudges. In fact, we still communicate from time to time via text and phone. But back to my time in LA. After my testimony and before the case wrapped up, she invited me over to her room at the Chateau Marmont Hotel in Sunset Boulevard. That was where she was living at the time. And since I believe that he who dies with the most stories wins, I just had to go. And you know what? We had a very, very pleasant evening chatting about all kinds of author record stuff. It, it was it was a very good night. And I won't betray any confidences other than to tell you right now that I like Courtney very much. We got along very, very well. I will tell you this. Best part of the night it's when she took her vitamins and her supplements. Come here to the kitchen, she said. And she brought out a big jar from some health food store. Give me your hand, she said. And she poured out a pile of green pills into my palm. What's this, I asked. Chlorophyll, she said. Keeps the vagina smelling fresh. That's a blistering song from Courtney Love from 2014 entitled You Know My Name. Her first solo work in 10 years. There was going to be a whole reunion, which was one of the things that Courtney and I talked about in her hotel room. But that ain't going to happen. Not at the moment anyway. One reunion that did happen and did stick was with the Happy Mondays. Now, if you're a fan of the whole Madchester thing back in the 90s, you know all about the stories of drugs and alcohol and debauchery. Pot, coke, heroin, PCP crack, wrecked brains, wrecked bodies, wrecked cars, wrecked careers. But against all odds, the Mondays came back together for a series of shows across the UK. And by this time, through some weird coincidences, I'd made the acquaintance of Gaz Whelan, the band's drummer who had relocated to Burlington, Ontario. I know that seems a bit weird, but he moved from Manchester to Burlington. Uh, Apparently, his wife saw one of those real estate shows on the telly, and Canada was featured. And she got it in her mind that the whole family should get away from Manchester, and Burlington, Ontario was right where she wanted to go. Fine. Gaz is a great guy, totally straight, totally sober. And when the tour was announced, he wanted me to see one of these shows. Come to the gig at Brixton Academy, he said. The Inspiral carpets are opening. It'll be great. I had the time. So I flew over to London and found Gaz round back where he gave me a friends and family all access backstage pass, which allowed me to watch the show from the wings. And I got to tell you something as a fan of the Manchester era, it was awesome. Now, after the gig, I needed to get back to the hotel. And the Mondays were on their way to their next gig in Birmingham. And I said, Have a good time. Have a good tour. I'll take a cab. No, you won't, said the band. We'll give you a lift and drop you off whereupon they bundled me into their tour bus, which was um, nice, clean, smoke-free, drug-free, alcohol-free. The strongest things available on board the bus was coffee and chocolate. There were wives and children on board. Some of the band members went right to bed. Long night, mate. Not as young as we used to be. I'm going to turn in and get some Kip. The rest of us sat in the dining area, listening to Gaz and Rowetta rail about the evils of eating pork and processed foods and having too much meat. I must have had a pretty stunned look on my face because Rowetta looked at me and said, This must be awfully strange for you, hearing the Happy Mondays argue about what foods are the healthiest and mean it. And, uh, yeah, you could say that. The happy Mondays from their baggy, druggy days. It is not that way anymore. I am witness to their current ultra-clean living ways. When the tour bus reached close to where I needed to be in North London, they dropped me off, waved goodbye, and said, Be careful walking home. Straight to bed, too. You've been up late. More stories from my recent wanderings about the planet coming up, including a week spent with one of the UK's most famous producers, in of all places... Singapore. This is a show called Stop Me If You've Heard This One Before. It's some personal stories, stuff that's happened to me from my various global walkabouts. And now we're going to Singapore. Now, I'm fascinated with the growth of the Asian music market, which is why I go to an industry conference called Music Matters every year in Singapore. A couple of years ago, I was invited to hang out with Steve Lillywhite, the British producer who worked on albums from U2, The Psychedelic Furs, Peter Gabriel, Simple Minds, Talking Heads, Morrissey, Rolling Stones, Dave Matthews, BDI, The Killer, Susie and the Banshees, and dozens more. Steve had been invited to Singapore by the local music industry association. His job was to find a local artist and then spend a week in the studio with them with the goal of turning one of their songs into a world-class production, which is pretty cool when you think about it. And it was amazing to watch Steve work. He was a coach, a teacher, a lion tamer, a psychologist, a cheerleader, a sounding board. And he was always, always cheerful, never pushy, and always super enthusiastic. And between sessions, we had a chance to talk. Of all the albums he's worked on, has he ever gone back and wished he did something different? No. He never listens to past projects because he doesn't want to be distracted by the past. What's that weird clanking sound in the middle of U2's I Will Follow? (laughs) Old-fashioned milk bottles. And somewhere in the song is the sound of an upturned bicycle being pedaled. And speaking of U2, what's it like working with them? Well, they're really good at making albums, he said. But they're terrible at finishing them. Now let me play you that song he worked on for that Singapore band. The group is called the Sam Willows, and they put in four 12-hour days in a studio, and then Steve took the tracks back with him to L.A. to mix it in his own studio. The song originally was a nice, well Mumford and Sons folky thing without a proper drummer. In fact, the band doesn't have a drummer. But when Steve got through with it, the results were, um, well, magnificent. We from Singapore, that's the Sam Willows with the Steve Lillywhite produced version of a song called Glasshouse. I've kept in touch with both the band and Steve since then, and you know what? They're all great people. Okay, back to Los Angeles. After years of joking about forming a band together, Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters, Josh Homme of Queens of the Stone Age, and Led Zeppelin's John Paul Jones decided to make it happen with Them Crooked Vultures. One Wednesday, I got a call asking if I'd like to interview the band in Josh's studio in Burbank. (laughs) Duh. Friday morning, I was on a plane. Josh's Pink Duck Studios is within stupidly easy walking distance from the Burbank airport. From the front, it looks like an old corner store with the door blocked up. Around back is an alley that separates that row of buildings from a very normal-looking middle-class neighborhood. I came around the fence into a small parking area off the alley. There was a deck, a picnic table, Josh's newly hopped-up Dodge, and everyone from the band having a beer and a smoke. Josh bounded over. Glad you can make it. You want to get started? Come here. Hey, this is John. You probably know this guy, pointing to Dave. And the studio is this way. You can set up in the control room. As I unpack my gear on the coffee table of the back of the control room, John Paul Jones wanders in. Hello, he says, picking up a bass, sitting on a stand, and plunking some vaguely Zeppelin-esque notes. Everything all right? "Uh, Yeah, John, thanks. I'm, I'm, I'm just getting it together. Splendid. Uh, just ask if you need anything. Can I get you a cup of tea? Well, you know, that, that would be nice. It was a long flight, and I just came from the airport. Sugar, I suppose? milk or lemon? Uh, milk is fine. Very good. Back at a jiffy. And he was. As I was finishing up, he returned with a very good spot of tea in a cup and saucer. That's fine, is it? Yes, John. Very good. Excellent. Are you set? Good. I'll go round up the others then. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, thanks. And as I pulled out my notes, a thought struck me. Did I just send the bass player Led Zeppelin out to fetch me a cup of tea? Them crooked vultures from what will probably be their one and only album. The song was "Mind Chaser, No Eraser." By the way, in that interview, there was Josh Homme to my left, John Paul Jones in the middle, and Dave Grohl face down on the couch next to me. In that semicircle, there were people responsible for selling what 150 million albums, 200 million albums. <laughs> no pressure. I try to get to London a couple of times a year on business, and through some odd connections at EMI, I managed to get a private tour of Abbey Road Studios. Now, this was awesome. I mean, Beatles, Pink Floyd, Oasis, Blur, Muse, Kate Bush, Depeche Mode, Iron Maiden, Queen, U2, Michael Jackson, Glenn Miller. They all made albums there. The only catch is that I had to be there early before work started. No problem. I was there at 8 a.m. sharp. Studio 3, where we started, is the size of a couple of basketball courts with a very high ceiling. And when I was there, a 65-piece orchestra was putting the finishing touches on the soundtrack for Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Studio 2 was empty, but for a man tuning a grand piano. This is where the Beatles worked with George Martin. This is where Dark Side of the Moon was created. The control room overlooks the studio space from one floor up. Taking the stairs down into the big room, you pass a beat-up upright piano, which has a sign on top. And that sign reads, Lady Madonna Piano. Do not touch. Of course I touched it. Studio One, the smallest of the studios, was jammed with gear. Florence and the Machine were about midway through recording their Ceremonials album. And since I'm a big fan of Florence, I kind of touched a lot of her stuff. I, I, I know that it's creepy, but you would do the same thing. There was also a fashion magazine with Lady Gaga on the cover. Someone had taken a sharpie and drawn a beard and a mustache on her. And everywhere I went in the building, there was equipment, vintage gear from the 50s, the 40s, brand new stuff waiting to be installed, and everything in between. I, I could have wandered the place for hours, but then a bell rang. It was like a school bell, really, signaling that it was 9 o'clock and it was time for the day to begin. Everybody report to work. Thank you for coming, but we have work to do. And this is how the studio has always been run since the 1930s. Here's one of the songs Florence was working on when I was there um, touching her stuff. Florence and the Machine with Shake It Out from the Ceremonials album. Now, I will tell you that I later told her that I had been in her studio touching her stuff, but she didn't seem to mind. And no, I did not steal anything. Although I would have liked that to face Lady Gaga magazine as a souvenir. Oh, and speaking of Lady Gaga, I had a personal encounter with her in Los Angeles. This is a weird story, obviously, and it's coming up next. This episode is called Stop Me If You've Heard This One Before. These are some of the stories that resulted from three years walking about the planet on various music-related trips. One February day, I got a call from an ad agency in Toronto. The head of the agency, a guy named Ron Chapman, invited me to the office for a talk about a documentary film he wanted to make. Ever hear of Arthur Fogel, he asked? No. No. Ron explained that Arthur was the head of global touring for Live Nation in Los Angeles. He was originally from Hamilton and worked his way up through the business to become the most powerful man in the concert industry. The man who put the police back together? That was Arthur Fogel of Hamilton. The only promoter in the world that Madonna trusts? Arthur Fogel. And the guy who orchestrated the 360 tour for U2? That was Arthur Fogel. Yet at the time this documentary was getting started... No one knew who Arthur Fogel was. He didn't even have a Wikipedia page. And so began my trip through his world. I served as one of the script editors of this documentary, which ended up being called Who the F is Arthur Fogel? Maybe you've seen it on HBO Canada. It took about three years for this thing to come together, and when it was finally ready, there was a big industry premiere in Hollywood, and I was there. And because Arthur is so well-regarded by Lady Gaga, so was she in full costume, of course. After the screening, there was an after-party in the bar at the Chateau Marmont, that place again. As a member of the team that put the film together, I was invited. And at one point, I found myself quite accidentally sitting on a couch with Lady Gaga to my left and Stuart Copeland of the police on my right. They were both terrific people. Very nice, very friendly. Now, it was hoped that you two would show up After all, they were in the area working on something, but unfortunately they never did. But given that Arthur helped them stage the biggest grossing tour in the history of the universe with gate receipts of $736 million, I would hope they felt bad about not being
1: there. (laughs)
0: You 2 live on the 360 tour in Ireland. If you haven't seen the documentary, Who the F is Arthur Fogel, get it on demand. It's very good, if I do say so myself. This next story takes us back to China, some kind of commune along an unrestored length of the Great Wall, little more than an hour north of Beijing. It was another conference of music industry thinkers gathered together to try and figure out where everything was going, and one of the attendees was Seymour Stein. Now, if you know your record man, you'll know Seymour Stein. He's the founder of Sire Records. He's the guy who signed the Ramones and the Talking Heads. He's the guy who gave Madonna her first proper record deal. He's the guy that imported unknown English bands like the Smiths and the Pretenders and the English Beat into North America. Seymour is a legend. A couple of days later, everyone from the conference was back in Beijing for part two of The Gathering. And one night, I left the hotel looking for something to eat. And who was coming up the street with his Cane seymour hey mr stein you coming back from dinner yeah he said in his new york accent go to that place pointing with his cane kung pao chicken very good very good kung pao chicken okay thanks have a good night what are you doing later uh me yeah we're going up to this punk club called d22 to see some of the local talent you want to come And so it came to pass that I ended up in a cab somewhere on the outskirts of Beijing, China with Seymour, his friend, and a driver who had no English whatsoever. He did, however, deliver us to the club safely. Seymour found a stool near the front, closed his eyes, and listened to band after band perform Chinese punk and alternative. And he stayed that way for hours. And then around 1 a.m., he opened his eyes and said, All right, let's go. On the way back to the hotel, again with a driver who spoke no English... Seymour talked about the future of music in Asia. You watch China, he says, something's happening here. It's going to be big everywhere. Here's a band from Beijing that already has an international following, and fans in groups like Sonic Youth, they're called Carsick Cars.
1: Hey,
0: From Beijing, that's Carsick Cars and Rock and Roll Hero. If you're at all interested in the rock scene in China and Asia, start with them. And you'll be fascinated by all the music that's being made in that part of the world that we don't hear about, but should. I have a website that features more music stories, along with music news and music recommendations. It's a JournalOfMusicalThings.com. It's updated every single day, and there's a pretty good newsletter that goes along with it, too, that's free and never gives you spam. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.